Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's social action briefing as we record on Wednesday evening, May 4th. I am Craig Milch. I am joined by Professor Jessica Mitchell. Hello, Jess. Hey, Craig. And uh, we're recording. I mean, we tend to cover all the wild, terrible shit that's been happening, especially at the Supreme Court. But this is particularly acute. Uh, About 48 hours ago, it came out that uh, Politico got their hands on a draft opinion from Justice Sam Alito uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, which I'm sure everybody listening is aware of. Uh, Just how... How are you feeling about it now? And how is it like have have those feelings evolved in the last 48 hours? I don't think that they have changed. (laughs) I don't think that they have evolved. I think if anything, they have intensified. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Uh, Would be a good way to put it. Um, I was not. I was surprised about the leak when I received Mm -hmm. the initial news article in a text message before any of my news apps actually notified me. Um, I received it in a text message. I- Uh, The canary in the coal mine of uh, news notification. Yeah. (laughs) Was not, I was surprised about the leak because that is not a typical thing with the Supreme Court. I was not surprised. I was expecting this to be the decision when it came out. I've been saying it to people whenever they bring it up since we found out that the case was going before the Supreme Court, given the makeup of the Supreme Court, you kind of had to know it was coming. However, in the back of my head, there was always that well, they should have never passed it. I mean, the court that passed it was primarily Republican with two brand new Nixon appointees. And then you get to 1992 and the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case. I mean, every pro-choice activist and organization was expecting Roe to be overturned and it comes out and it wasn't overturning Roe. So you know, that was actually a surprise at the time. So in the back of my head, the whole time I'm saying it's going to be overturned, hoping that there is still some, you know, drastic change that will preserve it, considering- Just desperately, desperately trying to reverse jinx it into- uh, (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, because really, you know, it, it should have never happened and then it did happen and- you know, you're still sort of thinking it's going to get overturned eventually. And in 92 was really the first opportunity, the first good opportunity for that. And it didn't happen. So you're just, you know, you know, it's coming, but you're still in the back of your head, hoping it doesn't. And then it comes out and, you know, it just, there's so many things that happen in that moment. Relief that you live in a state like New York, (laughs) Mm-hmm. where this isn't going to in any way impact anybody who lives in New York or anyone who lives near the border of New York that can, you know, quickly just run across state lines. Um, 
really like relief and a little bit of guilt that even if I did live in a state where it was going to be illegal, or even if the decision gets changed between now and the day it's released, that just made it outright illegal throughout the country that at the end of the day, it's still not going to impact me because I have either access to my own or just familial money that like would get me to Canada, no problem. So like there's relief, but also guilt mixed in with that, both with living in the state and having the means to deal with the situation if it needed to be dealt with. Um, Because this is going to impact a lot of people. This is very serious. You know, there are few states that actually legally protect the right to getting an abortion. Unfortunately, most of them are around here, um, which is really problematic for everyone living in the South and the Midwest where it's already difficult and now it's just going to be even more difficult. Um, And then to be honest with you, I woke up on Tuesday morning feeling a little bit too much like somebody else's property. Like I just cannot believe that my own mother was born in a time when it was completely illegal, including in the state of New York, to live through New York legalizing it, it being legalized throughout the entire country. And now we have almost come full circle. Um, There are people in my life who marched for abortion rights in the 60s for all the work that they have done to be just completely undone in their own lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was weird. I mean, we've, we've, you know, the last five years at least have been all about, you know, shocking, but not surprising. And like, that's, that's sort of how it felt um, for me being someone who, you know, uh, the, all the privilege that I carry and whatnot. And, you know, it's not my body that's being, uh, you know, my bodily autonomy being vi- uh, violated. It was still offensive just to my sensibilities, beliefs, morals, and values. Um, and there is also just a deluge of takes, you know, on Twitter and uh, thus into my brain. And um, I've compiled a bunch of them and sort of, categorize them in our outline here um i think uh, a good place to start is just how uh wild the actual opinion is and again you know with the shadow docket and things that have come out we've kind of pointed out um the crazy stuff that 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 these justices have been doing and writing but um alito uh really really um i don't know i don't even know what to say now I, I i'm avoiding saying like that he that he took the cake because that just is stupid but i don't know and probably at this point everybody knows what i mean um so and this is a you know one of uh the the commenters uh i get uh into my feed very often mark joseph stern at slate um, so he, he mentioned that, uh, well, he described that Alito disavowed the entire line of jurisprudence 
upon which Roe rests, the existence of enumerated rights, i.e. the Ninth Amendment, um, or un unenumerated rights, the, yeah, the existence of unenumerated rights that safeguard individual autonomy from state invasion. Um, Alito asserts that any such right must be, quote, deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition, and access to abortion has no such roots. Uh, his, the opinion explicitly criticizes Lawrence versus Texas, which legalized sodomy in 2003, um, and Obergefell versus Hodges, which legalized same-sex marriage. And he said that like abortion, these decisions protect phony rights that are you know, not deeply rooted in history. Okay, can we talk about a couple of things? And this is where my like waking up feeling a little bit too much like somebody else's property comes from, is yeah. that there are many things that are deeply rooted in our history that are disgusting, including the fact that until the 1970s, women couldn't, in many places in this country, have access to their own lines of credit or apply for mortgages. Uh, oftentimes, prior to the 1970s, depending on where you lived, if you got married, anything that you did own that you could have possibly inherited or just somehow taken ownership of would be transferred to the ownership of your husband and not yourself. And slavery has deep, deep roots in the history of this country. So banking on what we did a hundred years ago as being a good idea to implement today is a bunch of bullshit and is a legal maneuver to not have to completely eviscerate the right to privacy while also basically saying like, yeah, the 1950s were a cool time, even the 1850s, like, let's go back to that, which is a bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. The history of this country is not a good reason to do anything because the history yeah. of this country is pretty disgusting if you look at it. Yeah, it's a preposterous standard in many ways. Um, so, uh, so there apparently there's a portion in the decision where, um, <laughs> where according to Mark Joseph Stern, Alito is essentially saying, "Hey, we promised this decision won't imperil other precedents," but they're talking about precedents pre-Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was 1992. So. Lawrence versus Texas and Obergefell were after. So it's pretty much explicitly, you know, targeting those, um, you know, in addition to Roe. Um, but, uh, and he, so because he says, you know, those other cases are, um, or the cases that Roe and Casey rely on are in opposite, uh, and uh, referring to Loving, um, which uh, dealt with interracial marriage, uh, Griswold with contraception, Skinner with sterilization, and Pierce with raising children. So those are safe according to him. But of course, you know, it's not that far of a cry for, you know, this court or, you know, further down the road, you know, down the road to Handmaid's Tale that you know, just the deeply rooted in history standard is relied on and those rights get attacked as well. You know, it's quite- I mean, none of those things are deeply, slope. none of those things are really deeply rooted in our history. For most of our history, women had to 
go to midwives and use all types of maneuvers to get out of getting in trouble for using contraceptives. Like we have a deep rooted history of not allowing interracial marriages. Um, I, I like the a whole idea that whatever we legally decide today needs to be something that we've been doing for a long time is ridiculous and faulty in and of itself. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Basically, from my understanding, the idea is that all of those are also not deeply rooted in history, but for some other reason, Alito considers them okay and safe as precedent, Uh, but Lawrence and Obergefell aren't by his standard. Um, This was a moral decision made by a person who doesn't have a moral leg to stand on, and neither do any of the other people that are agreeing with this decision. Yeah. Um, In fact, uh, The Daily Show released a video that is like, uh, I think it's called like the Black Robe Comedy Hour. So it's it's sort of like, uh, like it was a commercial for those five justices on a comedy tour. So like it's each of them basically answering the questions about Roe and saying it's settled precedent. And then they like splice in a a crowd laughing and it's all five of them. So they all, all five of them under oath in Senate hearings said that Roe was settled precedent that they'd respect. So yeah, none of them have, uh, have anything to stand on. Um, some other fun aspects, uh, Alito cited Clarence Thomas's debunked claim that abortion is a tool of eugenics against Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Janae Nelson, who's the new president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, said, uh, not sure needs to hear this, but the idea that reproductive rights are a form of eugenics is itself racist. It assumes that people of color and their families are incapable of deciding what's best for them making informed health decisions and being self-determined. Anyone genuinely concerned about the survival and thriving of people of color would instead be making investments in healthcare, childcare, education, housing, and employment opportunities, not banning abortion and killing reproductive rights, which sort of echoes a lot of the criticism that's righteous and obvious about uh, you know just banning abortion in and of itself Um, You know, when we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have parental leave, we have shrinking birth control access, no universal health care, or, you know, or even universal maternal care, Um, you know, with, uh, we have people getting charged thousands and thousands of dollars for births at, you know, if certain things go awry, you know, if there are complications, um, you know, subsidized child care. And, you know, we lack that and we have teacher and uh, caregiver shortages. So, you know, the hypocrisy is clear. And let's be clear about one thing. Nothing that happens on a legal front is ever going to actually ban abortions. They are going to continue happening, even if it were illegal everywhere, as is clearly evident by the fact that they were happening long before Roe was ever passed and when it was illegal in every state. And the difference is that people who were getting abortions were dying at a higher rate. My hope is that the world was very different at that time. It was much 
more difficult to find information because the internet was not a thing and it was much more difficult, honestly, because of these things to break the law. So (laughs) it's going to continue happening. My hope now is that with access to the internet and freer access to pills that are available for other medical conditions that also work as abortion, abortion inducing medication, that less people will die this time around while it is illegal in some places because they will have access to this and will not have to go get surgical back alley abortions by people that aren't even doctors and bleed out on the table. So, you know, there is, there is hope that there will be less death this time, but it will still happen and more people will still die because they will not have access to a medical doctor that can help them. Yeah. Uh, more fun aspects of the opinion. Uh, there was a shout out to Amy Coney Barrett's theory that safe haven laws diminish the need for abortion by allowing new parents to relinquish their child lawfully. Um, I mean, but obviously ignoring the fact that you're still forcing people to give birth against their will. Um, I find that most, some of the most, some of the strongest advocates for access to abortion are my friends who have been pregnant because once they go through the process of being pregnant with the children that they wanted so badly, they realize how horrific it is to make someone go through that process who has no interest in being a parent. Yeah. There are people who love being pregnant and that's great. And I am totally happy for you. And I know people who act as surrogates and who are fine doing that more power to you. Pregnancy really works on some people. I am glad that you have that choice and you can give that gift to somebody else or yourself, however you choose to do this. But if you don't want to be pregnant, you are not a freaking incubator for anybody else. It's not the way the world works. This is not like a fucking rental home (laughs) that you can borrow for the, the, the really 10 months that you're pregnant. I mean, you are pregnant for nine full months, which is really 10 months. Like why we talk about it in a nine month frame is ridiculous in and of itself. But this is not, this isn't like a rental fee. Like you don't, safe haven laws are not a replacement and adoption is not a replacement for abortion. If you are pregnant and you are a surrogate or you want to give, you know, a child up for adoption, that's fine. And I'm happy that you have that choice, but there are plenty of people who don't want to do that. And there are plenty of people who just straight up don't want to be parents. I am one of them. I don't want to be a parent. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Why anyone would want to force me to have a child that I don't want and have really no intention because of my own selfishness to take care of. Like, what, how does that make sense? Like, I don't understand why you would want me to have a kid. I don't like kids. It's not my thing. I have no interest in giving up the life that I have for somebody else. And I'm fine with saying that. I don't care. If you want to judge me for it, feel free. I just have no interest in it. I'm so happy for all of my friends who have recently had children who have like had fertility issues for years, they're happy. I'm happy for them. I just have no interest in partaking at all. Like, why would you want someone like me? Because there are other people like me all over the place 
to have a kid I don't want. No, they want you to suffer through the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the trial, not the trials and tribulations, but, you know, go through the process of, you know, being pregnant, giving birth against your will. And then they want you to give the baby up for adoption. It's really, I mean, go through the trauma. When you are being forced into pregnancy, it is trials and tribulations. It is a traumatic experience because you don't want yeah. to be doing it. There, it, it, Not all pregnancy is the same. There was actually recently a commercial for pregnancy tests, finally, where someone gets a positive pregnancy test and wasn't happy about it. Like that is the reality for some people. And that's okay. You know, I, for most people, probably when you're taking a pregnancy test, happy, shocked, excited, fine. But there are people who take them (laughs) who are not happy about it. That's okay. Like it's fine to have that reaction. And I'm excited that that's finally being portrayed to the world. But if you don't want to be doing it, it is a traumatic experience and you can want to do it and you can be super excited about it and still have traumatic births. Like there's so many things that go on, not no two experiences will ever be the same. And this is a lot like the failure to recognize this in society and to respect everybody's different journey with the process is the problem. We have to start accepting the fact that it's not the same for everybody, that not everybody is excited about every aspect of it, that some people get positive pregnancy tests that are pissed about it and that's okay. But yeah, it just, it like amazes me that we think still in this day and age, that adoption is a substitute for abortion, that safe haven laws are a substitute for abortion. They're not. We have to stop treating it like that. And I cannot stand the fact that Amy Coney Barrett is sitting on the bench right now. I mean, also others of them, but her in particular at the moment. Like you, (laughs) not all representation is helpful and she shouldn't be there. And it sucks that she is. It's also terrible that Clarence Thomas, who is the person that he is, is making this decision as well. Yeah. It's also ridiculous, given the fact that, like, I want to point out that Roe versus Wade decided in 1973 was decided by nine men. And we now have one only one and she's not even the one writing the decision we only have one woman who is actually siding with the men in the decision to overturn this but everyone else all four of the other people that are going to vote to overturn roe versus wade have zero chance at any point in their life of getting pregnant yeah um other parts of the opinion uh alito trolled progresses by quoting criticism of roe by ruth bader ginsburg and uh lawrence tribe which uh super classy um okay one of the criticisms that ginsburg had with roe versus wade is that it was it happened too early And I don't think that she's wrong about that. I hate to say it, but I don't think she's wrong about it because you know what? If it had come later, there would have been more acceptance of it. 
And this is the problem that I have with people who are too short-sighted and expect immediate results. When Roe versus Wade was decided, anti-choice organizations got together and played the long game on this and they did it right. They chipped away bit by bit. They never gave up. There was frustration, obviously, but there was no like, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to care. They funded their anti-choice candidates. They got their anti-choice bills passed in state by state by state, and they fought it in the courts. And it probably took them a lot longer than they thought it was going to, but they never fucking gave up. And they kept going. They played the long game on this. And when Roe was decided, even though over the years there have become more and more and the majority of the population in this country is actually pro-choice, there wasn't the same fight from that side that existed on the anti-choice side. They played the long game, they did it well, and they're going to win this year. Yeah. But it was Uh, early. There were not enough people that were on the side of row when it was decided, which is what let this group like just do this over time. If it had been a couple of years later, when there was more acceptance of it, there would have been less fighting over it. You think? I do. If it had been a little later, there were a lot of things that happened in the seventies all at the same time that really motivated the anti-choice and the like super Christians out of the, the political closet that galvanized them because it was row. It went, well, first it was the birth control. First it was the Griswold case, which really like, wasn't like a super motivating factor, but it really pushed people later. There was the Griswold case in the sixties. And then there was row in the seventies. And then there was the first test tube baby that was born in the UK And while IVF has become mainstream, that was actually the first test tube baby that was born. Some of the biggest critics of that were the like very conservative religious groups that thought that IVF was messing with like nature and God and all that stuff. And all this sort of just happened at the same time and really pushed religious organizations more into the fray of politics than had been done in the past. Wasn't it also a part of a backlash to civil rights? That was a factor. It was a lot. The 60s and 70s, there was a lot of stuff going on and there wasn't overwhelming support for Roe in the 70s the way that there is today. But yeah, I think that the civil rights probably also was a contributing factor to the hyper-religious getting involved, which is a very small group. Like it's not, you know, but they've done a good job. I've been saying it for years. They organize well and they don't give up. It doesn't matter how many times they lose. They have kept at it all of these years and they're going to win this year. Yeah. Um, another uh, particularly wild part of the opinion is that Alito relied heavily on uh, a 17th century English jurist 
named Matthew Hale, Sir Matthew Hale, who had two women executed for witchcraft, wrote in defense of marital rape and believed capital punishment should extend to kids as young as 14. So that's who he was relying on for his uh, principles there. We can add marital rape to the list of things that has a deep-rooted history in this country because it wasn't made illegal even in New York until the 1980s. So relying on Alito's writing of this decision, that should be fine too. It's obviously not, but according to Alito. Um, uh, and I think I saw a thread somewhere that, um, when, when he was citing, uh, Hale, it was, he was like misinterpreting and he went like even further that like, so had something to do with like poisoning a mother, like, or a pregnant woman or something like that. And, uh, and it like, wasn't, it wasn't about abortion as much as it was like poisoning women or something i don't know i I, like i lost i lost the thread i I tried to find it earlier but um but let's just say it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny like much of this opinion um so let's see oh yeah another so there was some procedural radicalism involved in this entire process that I think we might have mentioned before, but basically that um, in the writ of cert, which um, requests, you know, that the Supreme Court hear a case, they were uh, reviewing a 15-week ban on abortion um, for Mississippi. And then once uh, Amy Coney Barrett was appointed, they, they changed it to, they changed their ask to reversing Roe which um, is just something that is not or had not been done um, either like commonly or at all. Um, And, you know, at the time, you know, people that closely followed this stuff were outraged. And this is, uh, you know, what it led to. Um, And uh, yeah. Um, other people pointing out how it's ridiculous to say that the Democratic Party is radical, um, given you know what is going on with the GOP. Um, like uh, Representative Mark Pocan, he said, "Pretty bold to call yourself pro-life while opposing the child tax credit, spreading disinformation about life-saving vaccines, failing to act on gun violence, and taking away reproductive freedoms." And I would say. You know, that's sort of just fighting on like almost like mainstream policy. But then, you know, you're talking about banning books as well and insurrection and uh, all the, uh, the don't say gay and attacking trans kids. And, and, and somehow the idea that the Democratic Party is radical is, is out there. And that's what the, the right pushes to some success. It's quite ridiculous. I have chosen as my staple of describing what they're doing to trans kids as not attacking trans kids, but traumatizing trans kids, because I think that is a more accurate description of the fallout that 
is really happening from the crap that they are doing in places like Texas and Florida. I mean, I'd say both end, but yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're picking one to be, you know, to be more descriptive and impactful, yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're um, doing both, but I have just that <laughs> as my way of describing yeah. the situation because it's just so disgusting. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, in, uh, you know, the polls, you know, talking about public approval for overturning Roe, um, so the, you know, polls from Pew, Gallup, YouGov, CNN, um, all from the last year, uh, show that between 58 and 70% of Americans um, oppose overturning Roe versus Wade. This from uh, G. Elliott Morris, a data journalist at uh, The Economist. Um, and then data for progress showed that there's not a single state where support for a federal ban on abortion has more than 30% support among the public. Um, interestingly enough, the, there's polls that sort of break out um, where people do support banning abortion. And if you look at uh, the, the, if you go 15 weeks and people who think it should be earlier, you actually get into the high 60s um, or into the 60s. Um, and then, and it, I mean, obviously I personally don't agree with that, but it's interesting that they went for the full ban, the full overturning of Roe, which is so unpopular, when if they just did what John Roberts wanted to do and basically uphold the 15 weeks that there is actually support, like majoritarian support for that. Um, yeah. There is no reason to do that as well, but it obviously would have been better than just completely overturning Roe. But there's really, there's no reason to do any of this. There is no equivalent regulation on men at all, not even close. If I, in an effort to get around this ban, went right now and asked to get my tubes tied or to just get a hysterectomy so that I don't have to deal with this anymore, I would have a hell of a time finding a doctor to do that because... I still have too many years where I can get pregnant and they wouldn't do it to me. But anybody who wants to go get a vasectomy, they'll just do it. And tying your tubes is almost as easily reversible now as it is to get a vasectomy. So I really just cannot figure out why we are so obsessed in this country with regulating a uterus, but not a penis, except that this country just has a deeply rooted history of controlling and the desire to own women's bodies. Deeply rooted history of patriarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess we could kind of just sort of go back to talking about the one thing. So you're mentioning, you know, that, um, that the right played the long game here. And you would think that, you know, 
after achieving a goal that you know you've been working for 50 years years towards uh that the right would be celebrating you know finding out that that overturning row was impending but instead they're all focusing on the leak um mm. newsmax a newsmax host said that katanji brown jackson would be his first suspect when it comes to the leak uh given that she's not sworn in, not a part of deliberations or the draft opinions, has no clerks or even an office in the building, it's strange uh, to to go right to her. Um, I mean, unless you're you know, taking racism into account, um, which is obviously the case with Newsmax, it is Occam's racist razor, but still, Ridiculous and noteworthy. Um, and uh, Ron DeSantis and a bunch of others are calling it a judicial insurrection, saying that this leak is the real insurrection. I think Mitch McConnell said it too, which is just ridiculous, but um, goes on. I mean, everybody's echoing it and on message. Um, and uh, so Josh Marshall of uh, Talking Points Memo sort of echoed some sentiments that you you've had before, but he, he said, you know, you have to admit that Republicans are just as good at lying propaganda uh, or are just good at lying slash propaganda, a deeply ingrained skill. They manage remarkable message unity over the last 24 hours, rebranding the leak as an insurrection. Um, well, the, the, the reason why they're also not celebrating is because they didn't get exactly what they wanted. What they want is a nationwide ban on abortion. So this isn't the end. I mean, there are still several states, including New York, New Jersey, California, Oregon, I think Washington, Connecticut, um, that are that guarantee a right to abortion in the state. New York state passed a law a couple of years ago. Um, You know, it will be legal and legally protected in the state of New York. So, you know, despite the fact that this is a major and significant win and that there are going to be huge areas of this country geographically that will not have access to any kind of abortion at all, uh, they didn't win yet. Like this isn't going to end for them. They're just going to start suing in the state courts. Will they be successful? Probably not in many of these places, um, but they're not going to stop. This is going to continue. Yeah. I mean, my impression is just that they know how unpopular it is and how activating it can be. And I mean, you know, it was going to come out one way or the other, you know, in June. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know, but, you know, they'd have to deal with it at some point, I guess. I don't know. I guess they'd come up with something else to try to distract from it. If it was like a couple, you know, a month and a half later or whatever. Um, They're going to, and I really have no faith that there's going to be any kind of serious challenge from progressives because they don't have the commitment that these people do I mean that that to me is the major psychological difference is that 
these super conservative people that are so anti-choice that they don't want abortions to happen ever at all for any reason will take whatever win that they can get and use that as motivation to continue. Whereas we see younger people and we see progressive people get disheartened and instead of engaging to make change in government, they just disassociate from it, which is fine if that's the choice that you want to make, but this is the result of the choices that are made. Yeah, although- like anti-choice people are not going to stop. This is not the end. They will go to the states after this that are still legally protecting it in the states where it's happening. Probably in any kind of manner beyond only allowing abortions in cases of rape and incest. And they will fight them in those states. They're not going to stop. This wasn't like the ultimate win. The ultimate win is it never happening. And I don't see like... I just don't see the same kind of commitment because if there was that commitment, people wouldn't have stopped fighting after Roe. And especially after the Casey case, like this has been coming down the pipe since Roe was decided. Yeah. And um, I mean, and they won't stop at an abortion ban then they'll, go for overturning gay marriage and uh i mean it sounds like alito makes it sound like they'll go for overturning homosexuality period you know with florence versus texas yeah Um, and they're gonna like it's it's not yeah it's not just this issue but they're not going to stop on this issue either it's going to be all of them like he just opened the door for all of this amy coney barrett like all of them really i mean with the exception of like Clarence Thomas and Alito, I mean, the rest of them are pretty young. Even John Roberts, who's been on the court since what, 2004, 2005, they're all young. They're going to be there for a long time. Yeah. You know, the, all these decisions like are up for grabs. And I imagine that like there are conservative organizations that are like working up the briefs now. You know, they saw the decision too, and I'm sure they're on it. Yeah. Um, although, so in terms of, uh, you know, fighting back, um, last night in uh, the state, the state house in Michigan, uh, Democrats uh, won by 12 points in a seat that the GOP won in 2000 by 26 points. Um, obviously that was not the most recent election, but it was still, um, you know, it was, it was a, a surprise upset. The, uh, the person who lost Robert Reagan or Reagan, um, is somebody who is, uh, so pro-life that he said that if someone is being raped, that they should lie back and take it. Um, so he lost his seat because he's a ridiculous extremist. Yeah. 
I have no uh, comment other than the fact that that is maybe <clears throat> something I think should get someone arrested just for simply stating it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, he apparently made the comments during uh, a virtual panel. And uh, yeah, so this having three daughters and I tell my daughter as well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. So that's not how we roll. That's not how I won this election. We go right at it. I don't know. I'm sorry. He said that specifically referencing his own children. Yeah. 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 How old are these children? That I don't know. But he's not old. So he's not like a senior citizen. He's 54. There should be family members that should be very concerned about these children's safety and well being. Yeah. Especially if um, I think, yeah, uh, I think it's good to uh, to run against extremists um, as, you know, pointing out, you know, running against the extremism. Um, I mean, this is, no pun intended, an extreme example, um, but uh, I think that is something that Democrats have been avoiding um, and just so focused on kitchen table and policy and all that, like that's a part of it, obviously, but you know, the radical shit going on on the right needs like you need to run against that. You know, that's a liability when they are batshit crazy and saying ridiculous things like that. Um, I know people are going to like feel a certain way about this and I, I, I get it, but like those children should not be in that man's custody anymore. Like if they are still minors, <laughs> that is disgusting. And like someone should look into it because I am still just in shock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, uh, it is, uh, pretty shocking. Glad he lost. Um, Still horrified for his children. Yeah. Who unfortunately he now has more spent time to spend with them. Right. Not that I want him in government, but you know. <laughs> no. Oh, they are young. Oh. They are young. I I I, I searched. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh actually. Wait. <laughs> so conservative. Robert Reagan blames daughter's quote socialist university and says she's happy to to, to uh, oppose him publicly. So because I'm looking at a campaign photo. Oh, I think those may maybe those are his grandkids, but um, but one of his daughters uh, wrote a letter. Oh no, wrote a wrote a wrote on Twitter not to uh, not to vote for him. If you're in Michigan and 18 plus, please, for the love of God, do not vote for my dad for state rep. Tell everyone. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. That's not a common occurrence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only, only the looniest of tunes get that treatment. Like uh, Paul Gosar, his entire family said not to vote for him, but then, uh, you know, he did. 
he got he did get elected. But yeah, his quote, when they go off to college, quite frankly, they get involved with these Marxist socialist universities and they start getting indoctrinated with things that are completely polar opposite from where you raise them. Yeah, they go to they go to a Marxist university and learn not to that you should not get raped. Those wild ideas of socialism that rape is bad. Don't acquiesce to it. I cannot believe this is the country we live in. It's facet of the country we live in. It's terrifying. Which kind of puts uh, maybe an interesting spin on our next topic, which is also SCOTUS related. Um, so Justice Gorsuch, who notably uh, is to the left of where RBG was on uh, things like uh, like native issues um, and things of that nature, um, he so this was reporting in the Times you know last month that he issued a ten-page concurring opinion that amounted to a plea to find a case in which to overrule the Insular cases, which is a series of discredited decisions issued in the early 1900s based on racist assumptions and imperial ambitions that said some United States territories like Puerto Rico and Guam are not entitled to all of the constitution's protections. Um, they, they were issued between 1901 and 1922 and said that so-called unincorporated territories had second-class status because um, as one justice put in 1901, they were, quote, peopled with an uncivilized race that was, quote, absolutely unfit to receive the, quote, immediate bestowal of citizenship. Um, now Congress can confer birthright citizenship on um, places like American Samoa, um, at w- which it has done for Puerto Rico, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands and the U.S. Virgin Islands, but there is a federal law in the books that says American Samoans are nationals but not citizens of the United States at birth, who nevertheless owe permanent allegiance to the United States. Uh, and uh, the petition, as the petition put it, they are citizens of nowhere. Um, if they move to other parts of the United States, they cannot vote in state or federal elections, serve on juries or be officers in, uh, in the armed forces, but they can serve in the military though. And American Samoans have uh, enlisted at a high rate. So three men born in American Samoa who live in Utah sued to obtain citizenship. A district court ruled in their favor. Um, and I think that's where Justice Gorsuch's concurring opinion came from. Um, a court of appeals reversed it, and then a writ of cert appeared at the Supreme Court six days after the Gorsuch opinion. I didn't know that Supreme Court justices uh, write concurring opinions, like for like the lower districts. I didn't know <laughs> that they. I know that they're involved with some of those cases, but I didn't realize that they wrote concurring opinions either. Yeah. Um, so that uh, I don't know that could be coming down the pipe. That Scotus, I thought it'd be nice to uh, 
uh, you know, mention that in uh, in context here. Um, I would just like to mention that if anyone is uncivilized, I would really say that it's the United States who routinely and consistently accuses other people of being uncivilized as we deny people access to refugee status or refuse to feed people, um, fund wars instead of like food and basic necessities to live. Like who's uncivilized? Yeah. Uh, also people that don't use right guard deodorant compared, uh, according to Charles Barkley, because, uh, there were, there were commercials in the nineties that for right guard deodorant that, uh, the, the uh, tagline was anything less would be uncivilized. I think we really have to stop, like, just as a country, first of all, assuming that we're better than everybody else. And second of all, assuming that people who do things at all differently from us are uncivilized because yeah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> really? That's yeah. it? <laughs> yes, especially when the delineation comes down to deodorant use. Um, but I'm, I'm joking, but... Um, also a joke uh, that we sort of touch on pretty regularly. We got another uh, Republican voter fraud instance here. Hmm. Um, <laughs> this time, as I, I don't know, we might have mentioned this one before, but the sentencing happened. So it was a Trump supporter um, in Arizona who voted in... Uh, her dead mother's name during the 2020 election. So she was sentenced to two years felony probation, uh, fines and community service for doing so. Um, the judge rejected the prosecutor's request that she serve at least 30 days in jail because she lied to investigators and demanded that they hold those committing voter fraud accountable. Um, this is a quote from her interview with an investigator in the attorney general's office or the assistant attorney general's office. Uh, that might be the same thing. But anyway, um, the only way to prevent voter fraud is to physically go in and punch a ballot, McKee told the investigator. I mean, voter fraud is going to be prevalent as long as there's mail-in voting for sure. I mean, there's no way to ensure a fair election. And I don't believe that this was a fair election. I do believe there is a lot of voter fraud. So, you know, this is obviously an instance where a woman believed conspiracy theories, you know, put out by Fox News and the right, and then decided to take matters into her own hands and try to do something to offset, you know, uh, what she perceived as rampant voter fraud, and then just committing the, like, one of the few instances of actual voter fraud. I'd just like to remind anyone listening that voter fraud is wrong no matter who is doing it and i will keep reiterating that every time <laughs> have this conversation yep. don't do it <laughs> yep yeah i mean and that's uh that's a good reason to keep having uh you know this sort of segment is that we that means we're delivering the message that it's wrong over and over again so we'll keep doing it <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and uh so Something that is 
continued to to take place uh you know in uh certainly in you know for the past year and i'm assuming throughout corporate history um is price gouging during inflation so the the guardian came out with an analysis of uh sec filings for 100 us corporations uh, and found net profits uh, by up by a median of 49%. And in one case, as much as 111,000%, hmm. which just is a, a wild figure. Um, the, the increases came as companies saddled customers with higher prices and all but 10 executed massive stock buyback programs or bumped dividends to enrich investors. So... Stock buybacks, which um, is something that I know Elizabeth Warren has proposed banning. I'm sure Bernie's at some point or another been behind it. Um, you know, because all a stock buyback is is you know buying back shares to increase the value of the you know to to you know uh, raise the stock price and just basically give money back to shareholders. So it's just self enrichment. You know. A lot of, and of course, um, CEO pay is often tied to stock price, and you know executives tend to hold a lot of stock in the companies that they work for. So, you know, it's uh, one one time that it happened where it was egregious was during um, you know in situations of bailouts, um, you know, companies taking bailouts from the government and then using it towards stock buybacks rather than, you know, paying their employees or uh, giving them benefits or, you know, just in, you know, or investing in the actual growth of the company. So that's why I like proposals that uh, ban them, um, you know, when people receive, you know, when people, here I am calling corporations people, when Mm -hmm. corporations receive, you know, government money, government uh, bailouts and, and benefits and whatnot, subsidies. Um, they also looked at uh, a lot of earnings calls for these companies um, and executives detailed how even as demand and profits rose post-vaccine, they passed on most or all inflationary costs to customers via price increases and took some took the opportunity to add more on top. Uh, margins improved for the majority of the companies. Um, you know, so the amount of profit they're making on each sale. Um, Hershey, uh, which had been cast in news reports as the latest victim of ever-increasing inflation, their net profits spiked 62% between the fourth quarters in 2019 and 2021. Uh, its operating margin widened, and it recently rewarded shareholders with $200 million in stock buybacks. Um, uh, consolidation is a is a big is an issue similar to the price gouging when it comes to sort of like uh, uh, corporate misbehavior in the context of inflation. Um, you know, we've talked, I believe, about um, like the meat packing industry with you know has fair, is fairly consolidated. Other industries, uh, Hershey's thirty companies control at least forty six percent of the candy market. Uh, the four large grain producers control about 90% of the market, 
and you know products related to grain you know uh are an area that are experiencing inflation of course you know ukraine is like the breadbasket of uh of europe um so what you know that that war has uh contributed to inflation um but it's not corporations that are feeling the brunt of it um so the ceo of hershey said uh, michelle buck said uh pricing will be an important lever for us this year and is expected to drive most of our growth. Uh, a Kroger executive told investors in June, a little bit of inflation is always good for our business. Uh, Hostess's CEO in March said rising prices across the economy, quote, helps it profit. Um, as prices, gas prices soared, Chevron's 240% profit spike was part of, quote, the best two quarters the company has ever seen, prompting a dividend increase uh, for its shareholders and assurances that it would keep production low to maintain high prices. Steel Dynamics profits, profits increased 809%. The company was, quote, not materially affected by inflation as higher prices exceeded increased supply chain costs. Fertilizer giant, Nutrients profits shot up by about $1.2 billion on, uh, quote, higher selling prices that more than offset higher raw material costs and lower sales volume. There's more. Nike's 53% profit increase uh, driven by higher prices only, quote, partially offset by supply chain and inflationary cost increases. Keurig Dr. Pepper's quote, significant pricing actions and productivity outpaced inflationary costs, leading to an 83% profit jump. And that is just a small sampling of what has been going on. Um, so, uh, you know, there are various proposals on how to sort of deal with this. Um, Biden has proposals and executive actions that target stock buybacks and consolidation. Uh, a lot of customer advocates and economists argue that enforcing antitrust laws already on the books or strengthening them could help, help reduce companies' pricing power. Um, others have argued for the implementation of very targeted price controls on essential items like bread. Um, price controls getting into sort of a dicey, uh, dicey area, but there being there are proposals out there. Um, in March, Bernie Sanders began to push uh, to bring back a windfall profit tax, last used after the Second World War, uh, while Elizabeth Warren introduced similar legislation focused on oil companies' profits. So, I mean, economists will say that, uh, or at least Larry Summers would say that, you know, Attributing inflation to corporate greed is uh, misleading, and I mean it. You know very well. Maybe I, I would say, you know, I've uh, <laughs> I've done a fair amount of uh, reading on inflation over the last uh, you know semester or so, or a couple of years maybe even. I don't know, but it's still you know it's a tough topic to really tease out. But um, what is pretty clear from you know, this piece is that um, corporations are whatever burden that, that they would be feeling from inflation, they're just passing it on to consumers. 
So, you know, supply chains, uh, uh, you know, the war in, in Ukraine, you know, uh, the pandemic could, you know, and then, you know, some would argue that uh, fiscal spending, um, can, you know, is contributing to inflation or cause, you know, causing most of it. But it's, you know, this, it's obvious that corporations are passing their burden on to, you know, consumers, to regular people. So um, I would definitely like to see the proposals, you know, listed here, uh, put into, put in, you know, enacted. Um, I don't know about price controls. I mean, very targeted price controls. I'm sure they could work, but uh, <laughs> if, you know, if, uh, if a, a state rep is calling, uh, you know, being against rape socialism, imagine what they'd say about uh, price controls, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the, yeah, just the politic, just giving those political attacks. I mean, I'm always, I'm a proponent a lot of the times of like, forget what the right wing criticism is going to be of anything. Cause they're going to call you radical and socialist either way, but geez, price controls, that would, uh, that's that's like a lightning rod for it so um yeah uh what uh california is planning to do to help it um its citizens and residents um with inflation they're going to use a 68 billion dollar uh tax surplus uh over the next 14 months um and like i don't think they've decided on it but there are a lot of different ways that you know, can boost government services um, and uh, just kind of give people money. Um, so, Senate, Dem- like California State Senate Democrats, are proposing to spend eight billion dollars on a, on one-time cash rebates for families with uh, adjusted annual incomes of less than two hundred fifty. Um, It'd be two hundred dollars per taxpayer, and two hundred for each child. Um, Gavin Newsom had a gas price relief plan that would cost nine billion. Um, it would be limited to vehicle owners with uh, additional subsidies for public transit. Uh, the governor also sought to pause the summer's scheduled increase in gas taxes. Um, it's slated to happen on July 1st, uh, an estimated three cents more for a gallon of gas and two cents more for a gallon of diesel. There is a uh, bipartisan group of state legislators that had a plan um, that they unveiled last week that uh, is focused on gas prices, calling for a 12 month suspension on the current 51 cent a gallon uh, excise tax tax on gasoline. Um, Just judging by the fact that it's bipartisan, you know that it's probably worse than what uh, other people are proposing. Um, Democrats also propose subsidies to California small businesses that will soon be required to make new payments to cover the cost of COVID-19 jobless claims. you know, the federal money for that's running out. Uh, and the, the Senate Democrats plan would use most of the state's discretionary tax surplus on one-time items. 
So it would be used on, um, so families enrolled in the state's welfare assistance program, CalWORKs would be eligible for additional subsidy. Low-income Californians with disabilities would also receive a supplement to their benefits and grants would be made available to low-income residents whose immigration status keeps them out of the traditional tax filing process. Um, and then they would add uh, to the state cash reserves, um, including quote, rainy day funds that were created after California's last recession for schools and social service programs. So it's just interesting to see, you know, how, you know, one of the most progressive states and, and you know, the largest progressive economy um, is, is sort of handling the, uh, the surplus and, and what they're doing to sort of mitigate, um, you know, the effects of inflation on, on, uh, on its people. Um, another fun state project um, that we've mentioned, I think, before, um, you know, so uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, decided to try to troll progressives and uh, President Biden by uh, sending uh, migrants, you know, from the border to Washington, D.C. Um, do I have uh, his quote in there? I don't, I guess I didn't put it in there, but, but yeah, he is, uh, that's what he's trying to do. Just be like, now it's, you know, it's your problem now or whatever. And uh, there's a New York Times article of just people being very grateful <laughs> for <laughs> that happening. Uh, so Chadrak uh, Boyobola, a 26-year-old from the Congo, after he and 13 other migrants got off a chartered bus that uh, provided a, a, a free 30 three-hour bus ride, you know, courtesy the state of Texas. He said, I would like to say thank you to the governor of Texas. Um, Raydel Grau, who's a Cuban who traveled three weeks to reach the United States, said, I am very thankful to the governor. His helpful is very much welcomed. Uh, he said uh, that, the, so he, he started his trip with $1,300 and had little left at that point. He said that the word free was music to his ears. He, uh, the, 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 he, he pointed his cell phone camera during a FaceTime call uh, at an imposing charter bus behind him and marvel at its size. It looks like an airplane, he said, being from the New York Times article. Um, Santo Linarte Lopez, a migrant from Nicaragua, only had $45 left. From the fifteen hundred, he raised he had raised from uh, his month long trip to the border. He said he didn't understand uh, why Abbott was paying for him to travel north, but he's grateful. Um, imagine how how much it would cost to get from here all the way over there, referring uh, to North Carolina, where he planned to meet a relative. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, and then Bilal. Uh, Askariar, a spokesman for Welcome with Dignity, a collective of about 100 local and national groups that help migrants, said, in a way, it's actually perfect. Unintentionally, Governor Abbott sent them to one of the best places in the nation to welcome people. There's all these advocates here who understand the system and understand the needs. It might not have been the governor's intention. I think he clearly wanted to create some kind of chaos. But the reality is that we're really well prepared and really excited to welcome these people. 
I mean, honestly, it's probably better for those people to get to a place in the country that may be willing to assist them in some way versus staying in Texas where they're clearly uninterested in helping anybody at any time, unless you're. Yeah. 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 I mean, these groups clearly like, you know, they heard about what's happening and then sort of rallied to help everybody. Um, So Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary said, these are all migrants who have been processed by CBP and are free to travel. Um, so it's nice the state of Texas is helping them get to their final destination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as of uh, April 25th, Abbott had sent about 195 migrants who volunteered for the trip to Washington since the first bus arrived on April 13th. So, you know, obviously if the volume got hot, you know, significantly higher, it would put more of a strain but as it is now, his, uh, you know, performative troll is just sort of like a, it's almost, it's almost like they want a prize. Like, here's a free trip to a place that's going to help you more, you know? Um, so yeah. fun, uh, ironic little outcome there. Um, makes you think, you know, perhaps that is, that, that could be a part of, I mean, I probably would be right. So, you know, if we actually enacted immigration reform, um, you know, it would hopefully involve sort of beefing up the sort of like infrastructure around, you know, getting people into the country, um, pro- you know, increasing immigration courts. So asylum claims could be processed. Um, and here's the occasional reminder that uh, claiming asylum is legal. So when people talk about illegal immigration with respect to uh, uh, asylum seekers, that's patently false. Um, but I feel like a part of any, you know, sort of immigration reform it would probably provide, you know, some funding for transportation to various states that want to re- welcome, you know, refugees and asylum seekers. So, you know, this could just be a vision for uh, a better uh, future for immigration. I don't know. Um, Hopefully, Abbott just loses to better or work in November. And uh, yeah. we don't have to hear about him. Yeah. Um, so, and, and uh, speaking of uh, statewide elections, we, we had talked about how, um, you know, as New York law stood, uh, mm-hmm. former Lieutenant Governor Benjamin was going to be on the ballot uh, for the the primary, you know, get him as lieutenant governor, even though he resigned. And uh, they did do what you said might happen, which, you know, the the state legislature and assembly passed a bill that permits a candidate to decline a spot on the ballot if the person has been arrested or charged with a crime. Um, And then uh, Hochul obviously signed that into law. And uh, she has uh, picked Antonio Delgado to be her lieutenant governor. And that is who will be her running me. Yeah, I mean, this sucks that this happened, but we have had similar things happen on a local level in New York State in the past. And laws have been changed in order to more effectively get people off the ballot after they have been the one I'm thinking of was convicted of a crime um, or, or having pled guilty of a crime, but really like 
this is something that should have already been New York state law. (laughs) I'm sure that Republicans are going to twist this and that's fine, but there have been probably, yeah, there's been an even amount of like Democrats and Republicans over the last, you know, however many decades that have ended up, you know, in office or running for office that have been both, you know, charged and convicted of, of crimes and, this isn't a partisan issue. It happens on both sides of the aisle and there should be ways to get these people off the ballot because they just shouldn't be on the ballot. Like there shouldn't be the risk (laughs) of them actually assuming office while under indictment or already convicted. It's, you know, it's really a no brainer. They shouldn't be on the ballot. Yeah. So I look forward to not voting for them. Uh, Same. Uh, yeah. What do you say? Same. I look forward to not, you know, not being forced to make, you know, a shitty decision. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm not voting for Hulk and Delgado. Um. Well, uh, on the primary ballot, they are not running together. On the primary okay. ballot in New York State, the governor and lieutenant governor are not tied to each other. Oh, okay. Well, I think I think Delgado's a moderate too. So I'll probably pick somebody else. And uh, Hulk will seal her fate in my eyes with uh, trying to roll back bail reform and discovery reform and all that. So, yeah. But uh, I mean, it's fine that that Benjamin's off the ballot and Delgado's on. I mean, I'm assuming he's on. Yeah, he has to be. Um, so, yeah. That's there should be the... zero risk that a person who is currently under indictment or conviction actually Or resigned. Yeah, or literally resigned, like is no longer in office. There should not be a risk of that person winning again. Yeah, although it kind of uh, leaves open the fun possibility that um, cause it says arrested or charged with the crime. So like <laughs> in the future, if somebody like doesn't want to be on the ballot for whatever reason, like not related to criminal activity, they could just like pee in public or something and try to get arrested so that they can uh, <laughs> get off the ballot. <laughs> I mean, you, know, they, you do you if you want to be on the ballot. <laughs> Just or just don't hurt other process. Yeah, I mean the possibilities are endless, really. Um, But uh, yeah, fun to think about. Um, So yeah, feel free to uh, to write in. uh, You know, DM us. uh, You know, at sab underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter with the ways that you would get arrested if you were on the ballot and wanted to get off of it in a statewide race in New York. And, uh, and uh, you know, then uh, if anyone ever does that, we'll, uh, we'll read off some of the best ones. <laughs> so we all have that to look forward to. Uh, and uh, for now, I'll just say thank you for listening. And thank you as always to Iridian Falcone for uh, inspiring the podcast in our logo and to my friend Vinny Alfano 
of Anonymous Hair Salon in Soho for our theme song. We'll see you next time. Thank you.